So we do have some really fun and entertaining stories from our time as undergrads at NAU. NAU punted on third down. I was a super straight edge kid. Some people might even say I'm still pretty straight edge. I, I was I'm gonna a, say, what do you <laughs> Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Slightly Sideways Podcast, Episode 7. I am your host, Koenig, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say hello to the people, Corbin. I want chicken, I want liver, meow mix, meow mix, please deliver. Hello everybody, thank you so much for joining in to our seventh episode of Slightly Sideways. So I know we took a week away from the sports news last week. We went and talked about some of our college days back at Northern Arizona University. But we are back into the news this week, and we do have a lot of it. But first, before we get into that, as always, we do like to inform the listeners at home of what cold one we have on tap for the episode tonight. And I'll go first. I'm going with something a little bit different tonight. I'm going with, in a ska brewing glass, I'm going with the Rainier out of Rainier Brewing in Irwindale, California, of all places. Mm, you, you think that would be from Rainier, Washington? Oh, I was convinced. So Rainier is kind of a beer you see everywhere in the stores here in Washington State. We're up here in Seattle. And Rainier is about as common as like Coors Light, you know, when you go to parties and, and stuff like that. So I was convinced that this was local. It definitely is not. <laughs> Man, so they're pretty much duping the Seattle market to thinking that it's local with the name Rainier. Excellent marketing, if I do say so, by the fine folks at Rainier Brewing. Yeah, well played, Rainier. I see you. <laughs> On my end here, I am going south of the border here. Our friends south of the border, that is. I'm going with a Modelo Especial. So not something that I usually grab as far as Mexican beers go. I, I tend to gravitate more toward Dos Equis and Corona, but I will have to say not too bad. Pretty cheap beer that you can pick up. I've already had three of them, so I'm on my fourth one as we're starting the show, so it should hopefully make for an interesting show. As always, it's going to be another fantastic show tonight that we have on tap for you guys at home. If you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter at Slightly Sideway. If you're on Facebook, you can like our page at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future segments, I know we did have a feedback from the previous episode talking about our college days. So if you have any further suggestions like that, you can email us at slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. And for our YouTube crowd, on-demand episodes with visual references are very close to debuting. We're going through the last few stages of editing and getting those videos together, so that debut to the channel will be very soon. We will also have exclusive content only found on YouTube coming very soon, so do be sure to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss a single thing. On tonight's show, we have some MLB news. We have the second round of the NBA playoffs. What else do we have for today's program, Corbin? We also have some NFL updates as far as some starters that have been named, some players that have landed in new locations for all you football heads out there. We also have everybody's favorite section at the end of the show, The Unknown, which is going to be controlled by me this week. Oh so you absolutely want to stick around to see what Koenig does. The topic for this week is going to be college athletics or just colleges in general. So a little bit of a teaser for everybody. But Moving right into our first topic, into our Major League Baseball segment. Really sad story to kind of start out here. One of the greatest pitchers of all time, Tom Seaver, had passed away this past week. I'm 
forever a fan. I'm a hardcore Mets fan for people who don't know that. Tom Seaver is arguably the greatest Mets player of all time, depending on who you ask. A total stud. Without him, the Mets, who knows where the Mets would have gone as far as success. He helped them win a World Series in 69. Kind of helped build that team to be a serious contender and you know not a laughable loser as they had been previous. Uh, he also went on to play for the Cincinnati Reds, the Chicago White Sox, and the Boston Red Sox. Koenig, your thoughts on the passing of Tom Seaver? It's very sad news. Anytime you lose a living legend that Tom Seaver was and is, I mean, you talk about a guy, 12-time All-Star, 311-game winner in his career, a career 2.86 ERA with 3,640 strikeouts. We have a list for the folks at home. We like to make lists. Only Major League pitchers in the history of baseball with 300 wins, 3,000 strikeouts, and a sub-3.00 ERA. The list is Tom Seaver and Walter Johnson, and that's it. So you talk about a pitcher who is one of the greatest of all times. I mean, he undoubtedly is the way he put the Mets on the map. Like Corbin said, he's part of those miracle Mets back in 69 and everything that he did for baseball. He was dominant at that time. And he was, you know, he went on to have those insane numbers like I just spoke about. So it is a tremendous loss for baseball. We are um, very sad here on our channel to know that that happened and thoughts of course with the Mets and with his family going through this difficult time. One last thing I'd like to add just for people listening at home, the kids who, who don't know who Tom Seaver is to show how impactful of a player he was. He actually had held the highest percentage vote to get into the hall of fame of any player for 24 years. He got inducted first ballot. He got 98.84% of the vote. So he was five votes short out of 430 from being a 100% um, straight ticket Hall of Famer. And again, held that record for 24 years until Ken Griffey Jr. got inducted just a few years back. So it just a, a tremendous talent lost. He's passed away, but he'll always be remembered. Yeah, really sad day for especially me as a, a Mets fan. Rest in paradise, Tom Terrific. You were fantastic. Probably an even better human being. Gone too soon, so thoughts are with the Mets and with everyone who is affected by that terrible passing of Tom Seaver. So just moving right along here, we, we wanted to kind of jump into other baseball news. We'll try not to be such Debbie Downers. Uh, we'll we'll kind of jump into a more lighter subject here. The MLB trade deadline had just passed this past week. A lot of speculation to see kind of what would happen during the trade deadline with the shortened season and the expanded playoffs. Would teams look to make bigger trades? Would they hold on to the players they had? Koenig, you want to kind of give a, a brief synopsis, kind of what happened league-wide, and then also what team had the biggest impact? There wasn't anything noteworthy league-wide. I mean, if you're talking about, this isn't what you would have to be a normal trade deadline. Normally at the trade deadline, you see a lot of blockbuster trades, a lot of big names are moving, different pieces. And I think in a year where you have an expanded playoff format, you have more teams getting into the playoffs this year. You have not as many teams selling at the trade deadline. You have teams that maybe would not be contenders or would not be contending for a postseason spot in a normal season, but they are still very much in the picture this year because that playoff system is expanded 
and there are more teams that are getting in. So there weren't a lot of, like I said before, there weren't a lot of blockbuster trades, but one team did make a noticeable splash, and that was, of course, everyone's favorite Slam Diego Padres. <laughs> the Slam Diego Padres are in the news yet again, and this is a few of the names that they were able to acquire at the trade deadline. They got Mike Clevenger, Mitch Moreland, Austin Nola, Trevor Rosenthal, and Jason Castro, just to name a few players to kind of insert into that system in San Diego. You have AJ Preller, who's starting to form a name for himself as one of the more aggressive GMs in all of baseball. What I thought was most interesting about the Padres and the moves that they made, they managed to hold on to six of their seven top 100 prospects. So Taylor Trammell is on the move as part of those deals. And I know that a lot of Padres fans are upset that Andres Munoz was also amongst those to travel. But I mean, you're talking about a splash, a big trade at the deadline. I think it has to start and end with Mike Clevenger, right? Yeah, and this is kind of a weird situation. We we never see really the Padres as buyers at the trade deadline. They're always the team that seems to ship away their talent or really not do anything, especially with them being a small market team. They definitely got the best player that got traded during this trade deadline, and that was Mike Clevenger, without a doubt. One of the best pitchers over the last couple of years in the American League as far as ERA goes and adding a huge bat in Mitch Moreland, just strengthening the depth of that lineup. I am a little perplexed that they did get rid of Taylor Trammell. For people who don't know, he's one of the best outfield prospects in baseball. He was kind of a player that I think most saw as the future starting left fielder for the Padres and the next star next to Fernando Tatis Jr. So kind of scratched my head on that, especially for the return that they got back from Seattle. But they're clearly in win-now mode, and they're definitely the team this year that's made the most splash as far as teams that have improved since last season. They're definitely the most exciting team in baseball, if you ask me. So this just kind of adds to that excitement with this talent that they've brought in, and good for the Padres. This is something that we really don't see from them that often. That's true, and the Padres are a team that seems to be in the news like all the time recently. We talked about the controversy a couple weeks ago with the Texas Rangers. And what did the Padres do? They went on to hit grand slams in four consecutive games against those Texas Rangers. They're the only team in baseball ever to do that, accomplish a grand slam in four consecutive games. And the Padres of all teams, it just kind of blows your mind. But if you're talking about contenders, and I think maybe it's a little early to talk about which teams are vying for playoff position, who's a favorite out of each division or each league, but I think if you're talking about the Padres with the pieces that they were able to acquire, it kind of does beg the question, AJ Preller is definitely in a win-now mode, like Corbin said, and do the Padres have enough to compete with the team right up the highway in Los Angeles? Do they have enough to knock off a team like the Dodgers? I don't necessarily think that's where their intent is right now. I think their main focus is acquire a lot of pieces to really shore up our spot in the playoffs. And then when the playoffs happen, it's anybody's game at that point. Interesting point that you had mentioned there just a second ago where the whole league is talking about the Padres. And this is a team that's in the same division as the Dodgers who have the best record in baseball right now, yet the attention's on the Padres. And if you look at the standings, the Padres have the fourth best record in the National League. There's the two leaders in the Central and the East who have a better record than them. And then, of course, the Dodgers. So I think the Padres are saying to themselves, 
we're not that far behind the Dodgers that we could maybe push for a division championship. But if anything, we're going to make the playoffs. And then when we're in the playoffs, anything goes. As long as we get in, we feel like we have enough excitement and flair on this team to do something. And it's piqued my interest without a doubt. And it kind of got me thinking, and I think we might have even touched on this aspect a few episodes ago, but the shortened season really is playing into the hands of these smaller market teams who don't have necessarily the same amount of depth as a team that goes out and prints money like the Yankees and the Dodgers and all of these teams with super high payroll. I think what this season does is it really is the advantage of those smaller market teams because guys like Tatis Jr. and guys like Manny Machado and their big-time players, Hosmer even, Will Myers, they can play every day if they have to. Over a 60-game season, realistically, you don't need a whole lot of maintenance days. You don't need a whole lot of off days. Unless you're playing doubleheaders every other day, which some of these teams are. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. But, I mean, that wasn't a thing necessarily going into the season. That wasn't something that – that's just kind of a reality of the situation that's come about because of all of the problems with the outbreaks that the Cardinals and the Marlins have had. Over a 162-game season, you have a whole lot more rest days. A lot of times on getaway day, the star players will have a break, give them some time off. Well, especially with the fact that the travel is a lot reduced, a lot more reduced, and the fact that there's a lot less games to play, you don't need as many of those rest days. And so what that means for a team like the Padres is their star players can play in a lot higher percentage of their games. And so they're able to now compete with some of those teams that have a bigger payroll. I agree 100%. And we're clearly seeing the results. They're performing well, albeit they are six games behind the Dodgers. And in a shortened season, that is a very, very big gap. So they do have some work to do if they want to contend for a division championship. I think their focus is just get into the playoffs, which they are perfectly positioned to do as of right now. I'm pulling for them. I'm not a Padres fan. If they come up against the Mets, I hope the Mets destroy them. But it's nice to see these small market teams like the Padres and even teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, which transitions to our next topic. What would this segment be without some kind of fiasco in Major League Baseball? Koenig, do you want to go ahead and let the people know what the segment is truly called so we can kind of transition into our next story here? Oh, yeah. This is our dumpster fire segment. <laughs> what, if you have something in your living room, go ahead and light it on fire and dance around in a circle. That is Major League Baseball in a nutshell. So we'll kind of jump right into it here. I'm going to go ahead and give a background on the situation here because this situation stems past the last game where this kind of got a little bit more media attention. This is an incident between the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees. So three years ago... There was an incident where the Rays had purposely thrown at the head of a Yankees player. And it was pretty evident. If you just Google Rays and Yankees headhunting on YouTube, you'll find the whole backlog story of everything. But more or less, this, this dates all the way back to three years ago where the Rays were thrown at Yankee players. Fast forward to today or present day. August 8th, so about a month ago, there was a game between the Rays and the Yankees, and it was the Rays who were really throwing high up and in to Yankees players. And the Tampa Bay Rays manager, Kevin Cash, has kind of been known as this manager to be okay with his players dusting guys off the plate, if you will, kind of making them uncomfortable as they're in that batter's box to kind of get that mental edge, if you will. And 
Rays players had continuously thrown at Yankees players that entire game. And again, if you look at the video, just search Yankees Rays headhunting, you'll see everything. It's pretty evident that the Rays are thrown at them. So fast forward to a couple days ago, the Rays and the Yankees play each other again. Well, I think the Yankees had had enough. Clearly that they had been thrown at several times before by the Rays and It was pretty evident in this game. Starting off the game, Masahiro Tanaka for the Yankees, the starting pitcher, had clearly belted Joey Wendell, a player for the Rays, pretty much right in the side, just a little bit above his butt, if you will. It wasn't really a dangerous, dangerous area to throw at. I I don't really want to say that because anytime you throw at a guy, it is dangerous. But I'd rather a guy get hit in the hip than get hit in the head. So... Wendell gets hit. It's pretty obvious. He kind of gives a look like, okay, like, all right, it is what it is, but whatever. And the game progresses. And then Aroldis Chapman, the closing pitcher for the Yankees, comes in to essentially close out the game and is severely dusting players up. He's throwing some high cheese up in the grill. Koenig, your reaction to what Chapman was dealing when he came in? I think... The history is relevant, and you kind of have to consider everything that's transpired up until this point with the Rays kind of throwing up and in. Kevin Cash, I'm not really a huge Kevin Cash fan. Obviously, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I kind of know the history in that division. And Kevin Cash has always been kind of a bozo to me. I've never been a huge fan of him. But the Rays have had a history of throwing up and in and dusting Yankees off the plate, like you were saying. And... Chapman comes into the game and he's throwing it, like Corbin said, up and in, under the chin at 99 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. And that's the thing that for people who don't really know baseball too well or know a role of Chapman too well, the guy can throw 102 regularly. He can throw some high heat. He's known as arguably one of the fastest pitchers in baseball. The guy could really put some smoke on it. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, you kind of watch the replay of this whole situation, the whole top of the ninth inning, once Chapman comes into the game, it's like, okay, and I get it, Chapman hasn't necessarily had the greatest control over the course of his career, but again, the history is relevant, and all of these pitches that are coming high and in, and I'm just like, oh man, and you kind of just hold your breath, you know, because like Corbin said, you have a pitcher who can throw over 100 miles an hour, And it's just a matter of time before one of these pitches goes a little too up and in. And Corbin, what transpired after that? So he's dusting up some players and missing them, albeit very, very close. And then a Mr. Mike Brusso from the Rays steps up to the plate. And what is Chapman trying to do? Is he say, you know what, enough, we're going to just throw some strikes and end this game. Mind you, He's in for a close situation. So he's in there to seal the game. The Yankees are winning this game. It's not like the Yankees are getting pummeled and they're like, fuck the Rays. We're going to win the battle, but not the war and just throw at him. Right. So he's in there to do his job as a closer. And he throws again a four seam fastball directly at Brousseau's head. It's an absolute miracle that Brousseau gets out of the way. I actually had to look at the replay several times before I actually... I I thought initially that the ball had skipped off his batting helmet. That's how close it was to his head. But this is, again, I think it was 102 miles an hour, Koenig, if I can remember. 101, I believe, yeah. 101, okay. So plus 100 miles an hour straight to this guy's head. If this guy wouldn't have moved, it would have 
directly nailed him in the ear. And it would have been a straight ear shot right to the side of the head. Bad news bears. I mean, that's that's a lethal weapon. A baseball moving that fast, I don't care if you have a helmet on or not, that's a lethal weapon. And so he gets thrown at, miraculously moves out of the way. Then Kevin Cash, the manager for the Rays, comes out and he's screaming at the umpires saying, because the umpires had then finally issued warnings to both teams. And this is after, again, Tanaka had hit Joey Wendell earlier in the game, and Chapman has nearly hit three or four batters to this point, right in the chops. And finally, after a dude almost gets planked directly in the head, oh, warnings to both benches. So Kevin Cash comes out, and he's, you know, he's furious. He's like, this is ridiculous. How has it gotten to this stage? Which, again, I think has been a huge, huge problem with officiating, especially this season. He comes out, he's ranting, he's raving, and then eventually the game resumes. Chapman ends up striking out Brousseau, and the game ends. So the Yankees win. There's a little bit of jarring back and forth as Brousseau's going back to the dugout. Technically, the bullpen's empty. Really, the game's over, so they're just coming out of the bullpen, but they're kind of half-jogging. So it's kind of like a benches-clearing thing. Nobody really did anything. They more or less went to their dugouts and went to their clubhouses, And then one of the funniest parts, in my opinion, is the press conference, especially between Kevin Cash. Kenny, if you want to kind of pick up on where I'm leaving off here. So Kevin Cash is in his postgame presser and he's still hot because, mind you, this whole situation with the benches clearing and the whole argumentative back and forth. I think you have Luke Voigt getting picked up saying, hey, they were throwing at our heads all day yesterday. And so there's some animosity here between the Yankees and the Rays. And personally, I hate them both, but whatever. <laughs> so so I can give you an honest opinion because I think some, both teams some are Bo- shit. Some Boston bias coming through here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was the play to end the game. And so you have Kevin Cash in his post-game press conference within, I would say, maybe 10 to 15 minutes from this whole event transpiring. And they're asking him questions, obviously, about this whole situation. And Kevin Cash says, hey, you know, I got a whole stable full of pitchers that can throw 98 miles an hour, which is clearly threatening the Yankees. Like, if you continue to throw at our guy's head, hey, we'll hit you right back because I got guys that can throw just as hard as your guy. Mind you, mind you, this is all, in my opinion, this is all stemming from the Rays. The Rays were the ones who essentially started this. And then when the Yankees played ball with them as far as followed suit, all of a sudden, it was this huge taboo. Like, oh, how dare you? Only we can do this. How dare you try to do this to us? This is so unfair. Right. And I hate the Yankees as much as the next guy. And I'd be the first to tell you. But I got to agree with Corbin. I'm definitely going to side with the Yankees during this incident. As much as it pains me to say that. This is my deal with Kevin Cash. He's a total hothead. He's a total bozo. He's a fucking worm. <laughs> he is. He really is. And it's like, okay, dude, you were the team that instigated all of this. And now that you have a team that's retaliating against you for all the shit that you've done over the last few years, now it's a problem. Now we don't like it when we throw up and in. And granted, I'm not excusing what Chapman did. I'm not. Because what he did to throw it that hard at some guy's earpiece on his helmet is not right. Two wrongs don't make a right, okay? I'm not excusing that whatsoever. What I am saying, though, is the whole, like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. It's like, no, dude, this is on (laughs) you. You started this shit. My absolute favorite is in the press conference. So remember early in the story, I said this goes back three years 
where a Reyes player had clearly thrown at the head of a Yankees player. He even essentially admits to it. Kevin Cash, he says, we haven't purposely thrown at anyone in over three years. So he's pretty much saying, like, yeah, pretty much from that moment where we tried to throw at that guy's head three years ago, we haven't tried to hit anybody in the head since then. Dude, don't sit here and tell me that. So you're pretty much saying, yeah, three years ago, I, yeah, we were totally trying to hit him in the head. But you know what, though? Since then, we haven't been trying to do this. Get fucked, dude. Like, come on. Don't sit up here and cry wolf when this is all essentially you're doing. The Yankees are following suit here. Now, I will say this, and this is a reoccurring theme with me. I'm going to sound like a broken record, and I don't mean to, but Major League Baseball allows me to, so I'm just going to keep playing the same song. Where is Major League Baseball in all of this, dude? There's no... So the consequences for this game was Chapman got a three-game suspension and both managers got a one-game suspension. How Aaron Boone for the Yankees got a one-game suspension makes no sense because he didn't really do anything or say anything. So that doesn't make any sense. Maybe he got a one-game suspension for allowing Chapman to do what he was doing. I don't know. I mean, my guess is as good as yours. But... This is shit that stemmed from August 8th, where players were clearly getting dusted up at, and the umpires on the field didn't do anything. It took until a guy in the most recent game to nearly get plunked in the ear for the umpires to be like, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to issue a warning now. You allow this to happen, Major League Baseball, and then you've got these, I, I hate to say it, but Major League Baseball players are like little kids. They just hold these grudges and they can never be the bigger men and just be like, you know what? What they did was wrong. I don't condone it, whatever. I'm going to be the bigger person and I'm just going to try to be above that, right? No. Major League Baseball is, he threw at me, so I threw at him, teacher. Uh, uh." Like, come on. You know what I mean? It's just constant back and forth of like, oh, this is unfair, so I'm going to be unfair. I fucking hate it it's just oh it drives me crazy and that's what's crazy about baseball is like this whole incident stems from three years ago three years ago Uh, like imagine what was going on in the world three years ago this is a lot of time has transpired i guarantee you half the players on both teams weren't even on the teams at that time three years ago (laughs) exactly So these players are probably just like i don't even know what this incident is it's It's, just like it's like we're fighting but we don't know why we're fighting yeah, it's I hate you because I hate you. Well, I hate you because I hate you. And anything you can do, I can do better. And it's just this constant back and forth in baseball. And I'm just so sick of it. Like, fucking grow up. Yeah, and I get it. Like, I know that players don't like to get thrown at. But it's it's kind of like what I said before. Like, two wrongs don't make a right. You don't like getting thrown at, but you guys are totally fine with the fact that you can throw at other players So it's just, it's total nonsense. Eventually this has got to stop. What blows my mind about the whole situation is, again, history is relevant. You have to understand, as an umpire going into this series, going into this matchup, you have the two top teams in the AL East. There's some bad blood already. A lot of shit has happened, both in previous years and this year, in previous games in the series. And the umpire has to understand that going into the game. How Chapman was able to throw right at brasso's head right he throws right at his head 101 miles an hour there was no mistaking oh it just slipped it got away no he threw right at his head and the umpire said oh we're gonna give a warning no dude no that is your opportunity to throw him out of the game major league baseball and the players they have to be so thankful that i'm not the commissioner of baseball because 
Rob Manfred is a spineless worm turd that can't make any fucking decision that makes a lasting impression because he's a pussy. And that's just what it is. I, I don't mean for that to be so aggressive, but it's just what it is. He, if I was the commissioner of baseball, I would say, you know what, dude, you get one incident. Okay, if you have one incident and you fuck up, like, okay, I'm going to give you whatever ban as your warning. Like, hey, you had your fun or whatever the hell you were trying to do. Also give him a suspension. Also give him whatever, a three, five game suspension to let him know, hey, you did what you did. This is considered a light slap on the wrist. You do this shit again, boom, you're done for the season. I don't care. I don't care if you're Chapman and you play for the Yankees. I don't care if you're Mike Trout or whoever. If you just can't get the message that this is not okay, then you don't need to be playing this game. There's thousands upon thousands of players who would kill to have the job that you have right now. And we'll get somebody else who will do it the right way. We don't need this elementary school type of play. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. Like, it's just really embarrassing. It is. And I, for one, was actually pretty shocked that Chapman only got the three games. I mean... I wasn't because it was fucking Rob Manfred. <laughs> well, that's fair. I mean, he did... I'm surprised he gave him anything. <laughs> yeah, this is a commissioner who didn't punish any players for the Astros cheating scandal. So, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. What do you expect, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. So, I'm... It seems like every week we come on the show and we just talk about some nonsense with baseball. So stay tuned to the show. I'm sure we'll have something for you next week, too. You know, it's like a revolving door with baseball. I'm going to make a special edition collage for all the listeners out there. I'm just going to like scrapbook video images. I'm going to cut out of all the disasters of baseball for this last season. It's going to be like 300 pages long at this point, even with a shortened season. So for all you dedicated listeners out there, that might just be like a giveaway at the end of the baseball season. Hey, the first person to email in is going to get this collage of the disaster of baseball by me, the author. (laughs) There you go. Just a big dumpster fire photo on the front of the book. (laughs) So we'll have more baseball coming to you within the next few weeks, I'm sure, as we get closer to the playoffs and as that whole race heats up, we'll get into more news. But we do want to quickly transition back into the NBA. The biggest story coming out of the NBA outside of the games that are occurring, and we will get to those in a second, it was confirmed on Thursday, the 3rd of September, that Steve Nash, the once famous point guard for the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas the, Mavericks. The Steve Nash. The Steve credit. Nash. The Steve Nash. He signed a four-year contract to be the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. So Steve Nash is getting his first opportunity as a head coach. I know he was a consultant with the Golden State Warriors a few years ago where he and Kevin Durant kind of formed a bond. So Corbin, your first reaction to the Steve Nash hiring, what do you think about it? I'm going to crack open a cold one for this section here. This is near and dear to my heart because Steve Nash is my all-time favorite player. Again, there's no secret to people who've listened to the show that I'm a very, very big Suns fan. The Suns have a very special place in my heart. Steve Nash especially. I mean, he transcended the team into greatness when he came back after, uh, well, he was on the Suns and he went to Dallas and then he came back. And when he came back, it was it was revolutionary. There's style of play that the Warriors, the Warriors won their championships based on the system that the Suns ran. And Steve Kerr had learned that from the Phoenix organization and took it to Golden State and ended up winning championships. So what, even though Steve Nash and the Suns never won a championship together, unfortunately, they pretty much paved the way for a lot of teams out there who've had success recently. I think it's a good move. Reason being, there's, so there's, there's pushback, and we'll get to that here in a second, and we'll kind of debate that to see if, it, if the criticism is fair or not, in our opinions. 
he doesn't have any coaching experience, although, like Koenig had mentioned, he does have experience working with the front office and team operations for the Golden State Warriors. So he, he has a relationship with Steve Kerr that dates back to Phoenix and then also with the Warriors. So there is that familiarity as far as like a coaching style, which is kind of how he played. The coaching style of Steve Kerr for the Warriors was exactly how Steve Nash had played. And he's a two-time MVP, two consecutive-time MVP. Should have won three MVPs, if you ask me honestly. But one of the greatest point guards to ever play. He's going to be a surefire Hall of Famer. I think it's great in today's age of basketball where it's all put on flash and scoring and, I don't know, essentially putting on a show. Like, what better of a coach than Steve Nash? I feel like he'd be the greatest X's and O's type of coach. Players love him, dating back to his playing days. There's, I don't think I've ever heard a negative comment about Steve Nash from anybody. I'm all for it. Koenig, your, your initial reactions. I have my concerns for Steve. I'm concerned about the fact that it's his first opportunity and you're thrusting him into maybe the biggest sports market in the United States in Brooklyn. I mean, it, it, it is. New York is the biggest sports yeah. market. You don't have to sugarcoat it. Undoubtedly. <laughs> and so there's going to be, there's a lot of pressure on Steve Nash, obviously, because the Nets and the New York market, especially the media is just brutal in New York, more so than any other place, I think, in the entire country. And so there's going to be a lot of weight on Steve Nash's shoulders that, hey, we're ready to win. And you've got to find a way to manage the personalities. You're going to be dealing with Kyrie. You're going to be dealing with Durant that you seem to have some kind of personal relationship also. How are you going to manage that and be his head coach too? So I hope for the best for Steve. Obviously, he's a fantastic player when he played. Does that translate to the head coaching position? I guess we'll see. And one thing is, I mean, you have to know for everybody listening at home, the players in the NBA have so much power these days. I mean, there's players that get coaches fired, that get GMs fired, that just players like LeBron or even players like Kyrie who can just kind of say what they want and demand what they want and they'll get it. And that's a concern for sure. It goes without saying that Kyrie Irving has been a very difficult player and person to work with within organizations. He's completely melted down coaches and personnel to kind of have his way and do his thing. I will add, though, that I do think that a player like Kevin Durant is going to be good for Steve Nash because it's not going to be Kyrie calling the shots. And honestly... A healthy Kevin Durant is a more impactful player than a healthy Kyrie, in my opinion. Now, Kyrie is a tremendous player, and I'm not trying to discredit Kyrie's talents because he's unbelievable. But I think Durant is the kind of player that can relate to Kyrie and reel him in at times. So if there are moments in a season or you know, however long Steve Nash is there, where maybe things aren't going as great, I do think that a player like Kevin Durant is going to be a good barrier to kind of buffer Kyrie, if you will. Another thing too is you know for a fact that ownership went to both of these superstars and said, who do you want? Or are you okay with these candidates, this candidate, whatever? So you know without a shadow of a doubt that both Kyrie and Kevin were okay with the Steve Nash hire. So Yes, his work is cut out for him, and it's not going to be easy. And New York is a brutal market. You can argue that the Brooklyn job has more pressure than the Knicks job does because the Knicks yeah. have been terrible for like 30 years, it seems like. Yeah. So there's no expectations for the Knicks, you know. 
people seem to want to hope that there will be, but the Knicks have been a laughing stock for so long. Brooklyn, that's where the expectations are. Brooklyn is the team in New York right now. I hope that he does well. I mean, who knows? I don't know. He could be phenomenal. He could be atrocious. We just don't know. There has been backlash from a lot of media, Stephen A. Smith in particular, that think that this is not a fair hire. Koenig, do you want to kind of give a little brief intro into that? We don't have to get into the nuts and bolts because it, it kind of delves into some more, I don't know how you would say it, <laughs> some yeah. non-sports issues, if you will. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith, and I won't get into the entirety of his statement. If you want to go, just look up Stephen A. Smith, Steve Nash on the internet, and you'll get exactly what Stephen A. had to say. I respect a lot of times what Stephen A. has to say. I think he's a very knowledgeable talking head in the media. I feel like when he has things to say, particularly in regard to NBA, I feel like his opinions on matters are, they carry weight, they carry meaning. But I think this is just an incident where I just can't see eye to eye with him. And to kind of give the synopsis of his opinion in one sentence, Stephen A. Smith believes that the hiring of Steve Nash is kind of the embodiment of white privilege. And my knee-jerk reaction to this, as someone who I hold Stephen A.'s opinions in high regard, I think he's one of the better media personas out there, my knee-jerk reaction to all of this was, why does everything have to be about race, dude? Mm-hmm. Why does everything have to be about, oh, well, he got the job because he's white. Maybe, maybe he got the job because he was the best candidate for the job. Why is that your first reaction to the hiring of Steve Nash? Why is that the first thing that popped into your head? I couldn't believe it. And I do understand where he's coming from because in a league that's predominantly black, I mean, you'd have to think that 90 plus percentage of the league are African-Americans. I think the coach, I think there's five African-American coaches in the league, which is, what is that percentage? Five out of 30, do the math if you will, but- 17%. 17%, yeah, I mean, it, it is concerning and it, it does raise some eyebrows. And he was more or less saying that there's other people that deserve this job, i.e. like Mark Jackson, who used to coach the Warriors, Tyron Liu, who used to coach the Cavs, and- I understand it's frustrating because, again, Steve Nash is unproven. But you know what? Steve Kerr was unproven when he got the job. He never had coached before. He got the job with the Warriors and had him in the finals his first year and won a championship. So to say that somebody doesn't deserve a job because they've never coached before, I think, is a little extreme, especially when you're calling out somebody who was, again, a two-time MVP, one of the greatest point guards to ever play, I understand that just because you're a tremendous player doesn't mean you're going to be a tremendous coach. But if that's who the Nets want to go with and that's who they think the best candidate is, I think you have to respect their decision. I think he made his comments more because of the current climate. And what he said is what he said. And I'm not saying that he's right or wrong, but I thought what was really odd was he had more or less said that he didn't agree with the decision, but then went on to say that he thinks that Steve Nash is going to do a tremendous job. So it's like, dude, if you think he's going to do a tremendous job, then how is this not the right hire? Right. You know, it's one thing if you're like, oh, this guy's never coached before. I think he's going to be awful. This is a ridiculous hire. But you're pretty much saying here, like, you don't deserve this because you've never coached before. White privilege. 
but then go ahead and compliment him and say, I think he's going to do a great job. It's just, uh, just, I don't know. I just, it, it was very odd. And I don't want to get too far deep into that because those are matters that go way beyond this show. The fact of the matter is that Steve Nash is going to be the new coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And he's got a four-year contract. Whether he'll last that full four years or not remains to be seen. Whether he'll be good or not remains to be seen. But like I mentioned previously, the fact of the matter is he's the new coach. We'll give him a chance. If it doesn't work out, you know what? That's on the Nets. That's on them. This isn't on the league. This isn't on whoever. If it doesn't work out, it's on the Nets. And it'd be unfortunate, but that would be the fact of the matter. So that's all I have to say on the matter. Koenig, if you want to add to that, I welcome you too. But that's where I sit on it. I kind of sit in the same boat. I'm kind of like very much like, let's wait and see. I feel like you said Steve Kerr, he didn't have any experience. And then look what he did with Golden State. Fantastic job that he's done there. Uh, the Steve Nash hire kind of feels like the same vibe I was getting when Jason Kidd got his first job. Because Jason Kidd was kind of like the guy in Phoenix for the longest time also. And then he got his first stint and that kind of raised eyebrows at the time of his hire also. But who knows? You know, it's Steve Nash's first gig. I think he's going to be a very good X's and O's type of coach. He seemed to always be that way, especially in Phoenix. And we'll just kind of have to wait and see how it goes, like Corbin said. As far as the non-experience factor, we were kind of joking about this before the show. Just in life in general, it's like, you know, you get these opportunities to go for your dreams and get hired for whatever job. And people are always told, oh, well, we want this experience in order to hire you. It's like, well, how do I get this experience if you don't give me a chance? So yeah. let's give Steve Nash a chance. And if it works out, wonderful. If it doesn't, then they'll have to find a better candidate. <laughs> exactly. And so we will kind of do a quick 180 away from the Brooklyn Nets information. We do have the second round of the NBA playoffs, which is currently underway. A lot of things have happened, actually, in the second round already. You have the Celtics up 2-1 to one in their series against the Toronto Raptors, the defending champs on the ropes. They did hit a late three in game three. There was like half a second remaining, and the ball gets kicked into the corner with half a second left from a sideline out-of-bounds play. And the Raptors drained it to win game three. So lucky for them, it, they, yeah, they kept their, was, themselves in it. It was with like, what, 0.5 seconds left? And the guy pretty much just flicked it up. It, he, he didn't even have time to like follow through with like a decent shot. He just kind of flipped it up from where he was at. And miraculously, it went in. It was pretty incredible. That's a one in a hundred shot. If he would have shot that 99 more times, he would have missed it. The Celtics could very, very easily be up 3-0 right now. No, for sure. And in the other games in the playoffs, you have the Clippers. They took a one nothing series lead against the Denver Nuggets. The Houston Rockets in game one against the Lakers were up at halftime as of recording this podcast. Who knows what the outcome of that game is going to be. And then the big eyebrow raiser from the second round, the Miami Heat, currently oh, with man. a 3 nothing series advantage over the Bucks, And we do have some drama from the Heat-Bucks series. What do we have, Corbin? <laughs> Oh, man. So this actually stems the game, too. So like Koenig mentioned there, the Heat are now up 3-0 because they had won today earlier this evening. Game two was a bit of a, a whirlwind, if you will. I mean, I loved it because it created drama, and there's nothing better than drama in the playoffs, right? It's fun. It's interesting. So to break it down for you, the Heat actually had a pretty sizable lead. I think they were up by like seven or eight points kind of going into like the final like two minutes of the game and essentially all the heat had to do is just not mess up and they were going to take care of this game well 
it's the NBA and you know how leads can drastically change and, you know, exchange hands. Of course, the Heat turn the ball over once or twice. The Bucks make a few baskets. There's a play where Jimmy Butler gets the ball inbounded to him and he gets double teamed in the corner and he throws it back over to his basket. For what reason? I don't know. Bucks scoop it up, lay it in for an easy layup. Before you know it, it's a three-point game. And it's like, damn. And it's a three-point game with, I think, under like 30 seconds. Within a shot clock, for sure. Right. And so it's a three-point game, and the Bucks have the ball. So, of course, the Bucks can tie the game with a three. They're setting up their play. Obviously, they're looking for a three. There's this, I mean, it's it's evident, right? And Chris Middleton for the Milwaukee Bucks is on the perimeter, and he pulls up for a three-point shot. And Goran Dragic for the Miami Heat, the point guard, shooting guard, whatever you want to call him, is, I wouldn't even say contesting. He's literally standing up straight as a board with his hands and arms straight up above his head. I mean, he looks like a referee in football when he's calling a good field goal, right? He's just standing there with his arms straight up, not moving a muscle. If you look at a slow, 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 slow replay, it looks like his hip kind of pelvic thrusts ever so slightly. It's so subtle that you have to pick it up on like super slow-mo replay. So he's essentially standing straight up and Middleton goes up for a three and Middleton creates the contact, not a foul, right? Like Middleton is creating the contact. Drogic is not creating the contact. The Drogic standing straight up. Middleton goes up, throws up a three, misses it, but they call a foul on Drogic. And (laughs) the Heat are up by three. They get called for a foul on a three-point shot. So the announcer is like beside themselves. The announcer, I think it was Doris Burke, if I can remember. Yeah, that's correct. Doris Burke is like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe that. How could you make that call on this point? And then they're calling in like, the referee experts, right? The, like the guy who's been an NBA official for 30 years. And that guy is like completely different saying, oh no, that was for sure a foul. That was a great call by the referee. Koenig, your honest opinion. I mean, we, we have no bias here because we no. really don't care which team wins or loses. Was that a foul or was it not a foul? No. And this, this, is, <laughs> this is why I hate the NBA. <laughs> because the NBA just has so many ticky-tack. You could like cough on somebody and anything could be a foul anything they could be anything a, a, a point guard could be dribbling the ball up the court with nobody around him and the ref could blow his whistle and say charging call and there's yeah. nothing that anybody can do it's a foul it's a foul because the referee says it's a foul right and so it's i feel like so many rules in the nba are so subjective and that's why i was so blown away by this call against middleton and the game gets worse so middleton goes to the line he knocks down all of his free throws obviously and the game is now tied the Miami Heat are going to have the final shot of the game. And so it's kind of like a little bit of a broken play. It gets to Jimmy Butler in the corner. He rises for the three. He clanks it with no time left. And of course, there's a foul. And I I couldn't believe it when it happened. And so they showed the replay like five or six times. And Giannis, as he's going up to kind of contest the foul, he kind of puts his hand on Jimmy Butler's ribs he doesn't and, like and, extend his arm to like push him, but he just ever so slightly grazes his side. Yeah, and this is just for reference. This is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, former MVP, one of the best players in the league. And like Koenig says, Butler 
And Butler's taken a pretty poor shot. It's a bad angle. He's kind of fallen back in the corner. I think he was trying to shoot a three, but I think it was more, it was a long two ultimately. I think he had like a foot on the line or something, but he's more or less kind of falling out of bounds out of the corner of the court as he's thrown up this shot. And like Koenig mentions, Giannis, it wasn't even like Giannis was trying to push him or make contact. It was almost like Giannis was reaching out to like, maybe help him from falling over, right? Yeah. Like kind of like a, oh, like, whoa, like watch yourself there kind of thing. Yeah. And he just happened to just barely touch his hip. Just the slightest touch after he has released the ball. So the shot yes. has gone up. It's halfway Butler's, to the rim by now. Yeah, yeah. The, the shot is gone. Butler is falling back. And Jonas just kind of ever so kind of, hey, watch yourself, right? Like, <laughs> hey, watch out. Boom. Foul. And they deem it a foul with no time left. It's a tie game. So Butler goes to the line. He has two free throws, but he's got to make one free throw to win the game. Of course, he makes the first free throw, and I think he ultimately made the second free throw. It didn't matter because the game was over. There was no time on the clock. I think it was a total makeup call. I think the refs realized, oh, shit, that call that we made on the other end on Drogic was pretty awful. Let's make it up on this call here which I think is totally fucked if you ask me. What kind of checks and balances bullshit is that? It's just kind of like an IOU system for the refs. They're constantly messing up and they're constantly having to make up for it. Oh, I messed that call up because I'm an idiot. Don't worry, I'll get you back. Like I'll wait for another scenario that could potentially look kind of like a foul and I'll call it and it'll be a foul because I say it is. I mean, how many times do we see this both in college basketball and professional basketball where... In the last 10 seconds of a game or whatever, you always see and you always hear announcers say the ref is going to swallow their whistle. Yeah, The ref is just going to let them play. Just let them play it out. Unless it's so blatantly obvious where a guy gets swatted in the face or just completely cross-checked across the forearms. Exactly. You just let the players fucking play. God. Let the players decide the game. Every other, and I mean, we've seen more high-stress situations than this where it's either a tie game or it's like a one possession game that if they were to make a basket, it would win. And the referee, they might as well not even be there. You see people get mauled. You see people get grabbed. You see people get slapped over the back (laughs) of the head and nothing, nothing gets called because they want the players to decide the outcome of the game. They don't want the refs to be interjected into the outcome of the game, which is what you had in game two of the heat buck series. That game was 100% influenced by those two crazy calls. The one thing that drives me absolutely crazy about basketball and in the NBA particularly is just the influence that, that the ref can have on a game. And albeit it's not an easy job. I understand that it's a very fast moving game. You got to make decisions, split decisions, right? Like you have to make it as it's happening and you're making your best judgments. And I understand they're doing the best that they can, but I'm in time again And unfortunately, we live in the day of instant replay where it's easy for people like me to criticize because I can see the replay and the refs on the court can't see that. But it just kind of shows time and time again where the refs are just kind of like almost like they're guessing out there. Like, yeah, I think that was a foul. No, I don't think that was a foul. Like, it's it's just very it's just so subjective that it just kind of takes away from the credibility of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, you're totally right on that. We'll have more coverage of the NBA with next week's show. Probably we'll have a preview of the conference finals, I would imagine, by that point. So stay tuned to the channel for that update as these series play out. 
We do want to quickly get into the NFL. We haven't talked about a lot of NFL, but we do want to give just kind of a lightning round for the NFL. We have a couple topics here that we want to go into. Bang, um, bang. Yeah, just super quick. Um, <laughs> obviously, we're going to, this is kind of just like a teaser segment. We will go much more in depth into the NFL. The season does kick off Thursday with the Chiefs and the Texans. But we do have some NFL news out of Foxborough with the New England Patriots. Cam Newton today was named the starting quarterback in New England by Bill Belichick. And as a Patriot fan, a longtime Patriot fan, I was actually surprised from everything that I had gathered. And I listened to Boston Sports Radio, WEEI, pretty much every day. All of the media heads, all of the talking experts and everything like that in New England were so sure that Jarrett Stidham was going to win that job. And I realize he doesn't have a lot of game experience, and I realize that he's you're the successor to Tom Brady, who's one of the most successful quarterbacks ever in football. It's a huge shoe to fill for anybody. And so it was going to be a huge job for Stidham to fill in, but everybody believed Josh McDaniels was all about him, like, oh, Stidham makes all the throws, he knows the playbook, he knows the system, blah, 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 blah. And then here comes your boy Cam Newton, rolling in and he won the job and on top of that he's an offensive captain going into next year so hey credit to cam for winning that job even before the patriots signed cam newton i didn't think jared Stidham was going to be the quarterback i thought they might go for like a bridgewater or you know who, who knows who they would have landed there right. in new england but it was never in my mind that they were going to go with jared stidham and i don't mean to take away from jared stidham i'm sure he's a tremendous player i mean hell he's in the nfl so he's obviously a tremendous player but i just didn't see him as the guy to proceed brady you know like it's again like koenig mentioned you have the most glamorous rewarding quarterbacks ever and you're going to replace him with jared stidham I mean, if you polled half the New England fans, they wouldn't even know where the hell Jared Stidham came from. Yeah. And as soon as they announced that they had signed Cam Newton, I knew instantly that he was going to be the starter. And it just seems like the only issue with Cam was that he had had difficulty picking up the playbook. Right. And my thought was, well, as soon as he proves that he knows enough about this offense, like he's going to be the starter, that and that he's healthy. And... Sure enough, it you know it took him a little bit longer than I mean it's it's a Josh McDaniels offense. It's not simple, right? I mean, there's it's an NFL offense. It's difficult. You've been playing in Carolina your entire career. So it's a whole new system, whole new playbook. It's going to take time. I mean, th these are playbooks that have hundreds of plays in them and different variations of each play. So it's not like it's just like oh read this once and you'll be good. It takes time, and so once he got it down, it's evident that he's the best player. I mean, shit. He's a former pro bowler player. He's played in a Super Bowl before. He's proven when he's healthy, he's a proven player. I think it's the right decision. This might be a blessing in disguise for Stidham because you don't want to be the guy after Brady and fail. Yeah. And then all the fans are just because then you're just uh, you're the replacement for Brady and you're terrible. You'll never be as good as Brady. The so fans he, would eat him alive. Exactly. So Maybe allow somebody else to do that in case maybe Cam doesn't work out. Let him take the brunt of the you're not Brady kind of talk and then have your opportunity. So maybe don't be discouraged and take this as an opportunity. True. And there were a couple notable moves just today in the NFL. We have Leonard Fournette getting released by the Jaguars. Well, now he's on the move. He's going to join Tom Brady in Tampa Bay and just add to 
this huge juggernaut that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are putting together. I'm, for one, I'm a Tom Brady believer. I want nothing more than for Tom Brady to succeed in a system that's not New England because everyone says, oh, Tom Brady's a system quarterback. He, he, <laughs> Tom Brady was only successful because of, of Bill Belichick, and, and Bill Belichick was only successful because of Tom Brady. I want Tom Brady to just squash all of that with Tampa. Tom is going to enter a season where he has probably the best receiving core maybe he's ever had outside he's of maybe the, the year that he had Randy Moss. All but the offensive line, he's got max talent. Yeah. I mean, he's there's there's no excuse. Like he, you know, he can't perform poorly and then be like, "Well, I didn't have receivers. I didn't have a tight end. I didn't have a running game." I didn't. His only fleck would be maybe the offensive line wasn't as good as it was in New England, but the supporting role is far better than what he's had at New England for exactly. pretty much most of his career, yeah. besides the Moss years. You got Gronk back. You got Mike Evans who. I think you give Mike Evans a, a reasonable quarterback who doesn't throw 30 interceptions in a season looking at you, <laughs> Mr. Lobster Boy. You that was give crap him, legs. Yeah, that's right. You give him a competent quarterback. Chris Godwin, he's a really underrated receiver in that system. He's probably going to take over the quote-unquote Julian Edelman role for Tom Brady, I would imagine. And then you add to the fact they bring in LaShawn McCoy. He's got a lot to prove. He's a player that was arguably one of the top five running backs in a league when he was healthy. And now you add to that a power back in Leonard Fournette, kind of a change of pace back. I think he'll probably be splitting the work with Shady McCoy. He'll probably be getting a lot more of the touches inside the red zone. But damn, the Bucks look really tough. If their defense can play at all, that team's going to be really good. I'm worried on the Leonard Fournette front. And... This stems back to seeing this guy play in college at LSU. I remember seeing this guy just truck over fools, grown men essentially in the in the SEC, just run people over like they were nothing, right? Like he was a bulldozer and they were like a piece of paper. And I remember saying to myself, like, man, this guy's a monster, but like, I don't know if you can do this continuously in the NFL. And he got hurt a lot with the Jacksonville Jaguars with that style of running game. And I'm curious, there's a reason why the Jaguars let him go. And it's not so that like, Oh, I'm not going to resign with this team or whatever. There was something there that they saw. You don't just let a dominant running back just go like, Hey, you know what? We're going to release you like have fun in your career and your life. So I'm cautious that maybe he's had a little too many miles on him as far as just the way that he runs. Cause he's a very, he's a run through you type of runner, not a run around you type of runner, which is fine. Like there's backs in the league that that's how they make a living, but those are hard miles. And I understand that his name has a lot of weight to it. You know, you say the name Leonard Fournette across the NFL and even college people know who Leonard Fournette is, right? He's a, it's a well-known name. So we'll see. I'm going to hold a little skepticism until I kind of see the dynamic and see if he is healthy, see kind of how he plays. Because I'm not so sold that he's 100% healthy. But I could be totally wrong, but we'll just have to see. And the last bit of news this week out of the NFL, we do have Josh Gordon being reinstated into the league. He'll be joining with the Seattle Seahawks. And up here in Seattle, I know that the fans are really excited about Josh Gordon, but as a fan who used to cheer for Josh Gordon back when he was with the Patriots, I really have my doubts. 
obviously with Josh Gordon, you want what's best for Josh, right? You want what's best for him. You want whatever demons he's going through. Obviously, you don't want anybody going through anything like that. He has some addition problems. We all know this. We want him to be successful. Do I think he'll make it an entire season? No, I don't. I think he'll be a huge distraction in Seattle. I really don't see him making it the whole season. One thing that drives me crazy as a former minor athlete, I used to play football in high school at a semi-competitive level (laughs) as far as me. (laughs) One thing that drives me crazy is when you see these players that have this tremendous talent and have this opportunity to do something that very, very, very few people can do and continuously fuck it up to get high or whatever the hell that Josh Gordon is doing and continuously get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and continue to mess up and mess up and mess up to have half the talent that Josh Gordon has. I would have, just about giving my left nut right like i would have just you <laughs> yeah. know it just it just wasn't in the cards for me i mean i was i'm for i'm a, i'm an athletic person but nowhere near the collegiate or professional level to see players like this and, and people throw sob stories about people like oh josh gordon i feel so bad for you i wish the best for you dude at some point it's like fool me once shame on me fool me twice shame on you fool me fucking eight times or how many opportunities yeah. you've had to play in the national football league like yep. how many times is it gonna take before you fucking wake up and smell the coffee so i hope this guy is waking up every day counting his blessings like it's a goddamn miracle that i'm still in the nfl playing this game yeah. and i hope he gets it right i hope he figures it out but if I see another situation where it's like, oh, Josh Gordon screwed up again. He's out of the league. I don't have any sympathy. Like, yeah. I don't feel bad for you, dude. You've got an opportunity that hardly anybody will even sniff in their lifetime. So I don't want this whole sympathy. Oh, he's going through a tough time. And you know what? Millions of Americans are going through a tough time, not with drug addiction, but like just with whatever. It's easy to blame your faults on things like that and just... I'm not buying it anymore. I'm just, I'm over it. Like I, I understand you've had a troubled past, but guess what, dude? Like you've had a one in a million opportunity, like four or five times now. So when is it going to be enough for you? Well, I thought for sure, Josh Gordon in new England, I thought of all places when the Patriots picked up Josh Gordon, I said, okay, this is going to be the time where Josh turns it around. He gets his shit in order. He has the locker right next to Tom Brady. He has a, Coach and Belichick, who doesn't tolerate any fucking bullshit from anybody. And so I thought, okay, this is the system that Josh needs to set himself straight. And I'm sorry, if he couldn't make it in New England, he's going to have a really difficult time, I think, even in Seattle. Because with how much structure there is in the Patriots, and so many players, so many players you hear about leaving the New England system because it's too structured, it's too whatever, right? If and he I can't like, make it there, he's not going to make it in Seattle. And I feel like Pete Carroll, great coach. I'm not, I'm not discrediting Pete Carroll, but he seems like the kind of coach that just kind of lets his players do their thing, right? right? Right. Like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to stick my nose in your business. Just as long as you you do the job that you need to, I'm not going to be in your face, which could be a bad thing here, right? You yeah. know, it's like, well, hey, Gordon, like, 
as long as you perform, I'm going to kind of look the other way on some other stuff that might be affecting your life. And, but you know what? Kudos to Pete Carroll and people who are like that, because you know what? He's not a fucking babysitter. And I'm sorry, these are grown men. If they can't take responsibility for their actions, then tough shit. That's life. We'll have more on the NFL as the season progresses here in the coming weeks. Right now, we're going to go ahead and jump into everybody's favorite segment of the show. The unknown. The The unknown. unknown. The unknown. Unknown. This week, I will be taking the reins of the unknown. So we'll be putting Koenig through the gauntlet. I had kind of teased Koenig earlier today by asking him to pick a team or a city and not to ask any questions. And so he picked team. I'm going to kind of give him the scenarios that we're looking at here, and I'm going to give him a chance to adapt his answer if he wants to or change his answer. This week's episode is going to be college-related. I don't want to say college football, just colleges in general. Actually, I'm gearing toward FBS. So to kind of put that into perspective, FBS is football bowl subdivision. So those are all division one teams that can qualify for bowl games. So like the Rose Bowl, the, the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Meineke AutoZone, whatever bowl, <laughs> all those bowls, right? So pretty much the major powers that be in college football. So there's 130 FBS teams nationwide that range from power conferences to lesser conferences. Now, I have a sheet of 10 schools and cities. There is the school, and then there is the city in which that school resides. I'm going to give you either the school name, and you tell me the city it's in, or I give you the city, and you tell me the school that's there. Oh, shit. So you have to tell me right now which one you want. Do you want the school, and then you'll tell me the city, or do you want the city, and then you'll tell me the school? I want the city. God, this is going to be tough. Okay, I want the city. Okay, so Koenig wants the city. Now, again, your hint is these are all FBS programs. So they're not gonna, okay. it's not going to be like NAU or Montana or right. any any FCS schools or North, North Dakota State. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay. Looking at this list, I am pretty confident you could get five. Okay. I think five is more than fair. You'll probably get more. I'm going to stick with five because you've kind of had a tough, a tough go on the unknown. So I'm going to say that if you can get at least five out of 10, I will drink a whole drink on the spot, a Modelo Especial. And if you get four or less, you will have to do a shot or drink a Rainier, a full Rainier on your end. What's say you? I say yes. Let's do this. All right. He says yes. So just to make sure that we're on the same page, I am going to give you a city. You are going to tell me the school that is in that city. Is it city and state or just city? I'm only going to give you the city because the state would really yeah. narrow that shit yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for sure. Okay. I just have this in jumbled order. So if I hit you with a couple hard ones, don't think that they're all going to be brutally hard. There, there might be some layups in there. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm actually going to give you a layup right from the get-go so you can start feeling good. Oh, God. And if you miss this one, then we're probably in for a really rough go of the unknown (laughs) so the city of this fbs program for football is tallahassee all right so tallahassee is in florida i'm not going to give you any hints or clues on the state so don't even try to ask me 
So your your thought process is your thought process, and I'm just gonna let you roam. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Florida. As in the Florida Gators? Yes, sir. Is that your final answer? Yeah. That is incorrect. <laughs> so the Florida Gators are in Gainesville, Florida. Okay. Tallahassee is the Florida State Seminoles. The Florida State Seminoles are in Tallahassee. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> I thought that that one was going to be a little easier. I still think that you're going to get some ones in here. So you're 0 for one, but you can still go five for nine. So you, okay. you're, you're still in decent enough shape. I think this one will be a good one for you. Still water. Maybe I'm just underestimating your college football knowledge. So my U.S. geography is not fantastic, and I've also put down five of these Rainiers in the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we might have to we, we might have to adjust the total as we get deeper into this. Still water. Still water. I'll give you a hint. So I'm uh, assuming this is the Midwest. It's central to it's like central united states going up and down so if you if you go to the united states and you cut it into thirds so california would be in the left third down the middle and then states like florida and new york would be in the right third it's in the middle third is where this state is okay to kind of help you a little bit so still water i i can give you i'm going to give you a huge hint and this is probably more than you deserve barry sanders Oh geez. Oh man, I thought that would be it. I am like yeah, totally blanking right now. It is a bigger school. I'll give you that. It's right. not some it's not like bowling green or some, <laughs> some <laughs> western would, Kentucky or anything like that. That would be nice. It's a bigger school. It's not I wouldn't say it's gigantic, but it is a bigger school. Very well known. I can't give you any more hints. That's I, that, so I feel you said like I, you said it's in the Midwest ish so here's the thing like different people define the midwest with different states but i'm pretty certain that as far as like the overall general midwest this is considered a midwest state still water i want to say i want to say it's in oklahoma but which fucking team i don't think it's the sooners so i'm gonna go with the oklahoma state cowboys Final answer? Yeah. That is correct. Oh. It is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Okay, so yeah, the Barry Sanders clue kind of helped me out. I won't lie. So the Oklahoma Sooners are in Norman, Oklahoma, and then right. obviously Oklahoma State is in Stillwater. So there you go. So you've got your one for two. So you're, you're right on pace. As long as you go one <laughs> for two, you're going to be good to go. All right. All right. Are you ready for your second city? Yes. Okay. I like to think you're going to get this one. I hope you're, I'm hopeful you'll get this one. Nashville. Oh, shit. If you need, to, if you need me to tell you where Nashville is, we're going to have well, some it's serious in Tennessee. problems. <laughs> God. Uh, there's, only, there's really only one clue I can give for this, but I can't give it to you because it would totally give it away. At least for me, it would. I'm trying to think of what colleges are in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. Smashville, as the Predators are called. Smashville. I, uh, 
I can only think of one off the top of my head. There aren't a lot of schools in Tennessee. I think the biggest school in Nashville is Vanderbilt. So I'm I'm going to go with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is your final answer? Yes. That is correct. The Vanderbilt Commodores. <sighs> Very good. I was going to give so there was two uh, there was actually two clues I could have given you. I was going to give you either it was an SEC team, which would have fit right perfectly for you, or I was going to say Jay Cutler. Oh, which yeah. I don't, yeah. So that, I, I, I don't know that. if you knew that Cutler played at Vanderbilt, but if you did, that would have been a dead giveaway. For sure. Okay. This next one, I think, also is, is a slam dunk. I think you're going to crush this one. And then it gets a little bit hard after that. Shit. Okay. Lubbock. Lubbock is in Texas. Let me see your hands. I know you're not looking this up. <laughs> uh, let's see. So you're, you're talking about FBS programs. Yes. There's a lot of FBS programs in Texas. So yeah. you're going to have to kind of... Obviously, well, it's not Houston. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's not UT. Why is it not UT? I don't think they're in Lubbock. I think they're in one of the bigger cities. Do you know where Lubbock is? If you, could you point out Lubbock on a map? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this now. Lubbock is near nothing. It's, yeah, it's, it's like it's, in the middle of nowhere. But it is an FBS school, though. Yes, of course. Okay, I'm going to say Texas Tech. Is that your final answer? Yes, it is. Texas Tech is the correct answer. Oh. The Red Raiders. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... You know how Texas kind of has like a little stem sticking off the top of it? Right. It's more toward that stem, kind of toward New Mexico on the western side of the state. Okay. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, like <laughs> Lubbock, Texas is known for Texas Tech, and it's also known for Buddy Holly. Oh. The famous, the famous uh, I guess you can call him a rock star or musician. So, damn. Okay, you've got three. So you just got to get two more. I think you're going to get it for sure. I hope so. Um, okay. Here's one that's really going to benefit you because you can give me two correct answers here. Okay. This this city is technically there's two correct answers for this city, so you can get one or the other, and I'll give you the point. Okay. Okay. The city is Columbia. I feel like there's fuck. Ah, I don't know this one. Okay. Um, this is a total shot in the dark. I'm going to say Mizzou. You're gonna go. You're going with the Missouri Tigers. Yes, sir. Final answer. Yeah. That is correct. The Missouri Tigers Ooh. do play in Columbia, Missouri. The other correct answer I would have accepted, which is the capital of South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, the South Carolina Gamecocks. Oh, really? So, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you would have, if you would have given me either South Carolina or Mizzou, I would have given you the correct answer. You gave Shit. Mizzou. Damn, so you just need one, and you'll be golden here. So you've got four in a row, so you've got five. got to get one out of the next five. <laughs> oh, man, if you don't, don't choke get, this, Koenig. If you Okay, so just to, to add suspense, in case you start missing some, I'm not going to give you any clues until the final one, if it comes down to that. Okay. I, mean, you, you'll, I think you're going to get it before then. Let me see what we got here. Okay, are you ready? Yes. All right, this city for an FBS school for football. 
Manhattan. Shit. Manhattan. Again, I'm, I can't give any clues because I'm on life support over here. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you get one of these next five, I'm screwed. So there's two Manhattans that I know. One is in New York. And I don't think there's an FBS program in New York, in Manhattan. And the other one is in Kansas. I don't, not KU. I'm going to say Kansas State. Kansas State? Is that your final answer? Yeah. That is correct! It is the Kansas State (laughs) Wildcats! Oh, Oh, shit! Well, I was not expecting you to rattle four or five in a row, but, all right, so you sealed the deal. How about this? How about since I had to give you the Barry Sanders hint... We'll we'll put you at four, okay? And we'll we'll ask the final four, and if you get one, then that's that's even, Stephen. That's fair. That's fair. The Barry Sanders was like a dead giveaway. Okay, all right, that's a fair deal. Just to create suspense for the listeners listening at home. <laughs> right. Okay, all right. Are you ready for your next city? Go for it. All right, this city is Oxford. 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 O x f o r d. Oxford. This one I don't know. This one, I I figured you would would either know it off the bat or you'd have no clue. So it was just kind of a 50-50. I want to say it's somewhere in the Midwest. But I don't know. Uh, The other ones I knew right away because at least I could like narrow down the state for those other ones. This one I actually don't know. I could give you... uh, I'm going to let you guess and then if you get it wrong, I'm going to give you a hint just to kind of see if you get it after the fact, but okay. I'm not going to give you a hint yet. Yeah. Because I have a hint that I think will you'll get it after I give you the hint. I'm going to say it's wrong, but I'm going to say Purdue. Purdue, the Boilermakers? Yeah. Final answer? Yeah. That is incorrect. And right. it is not Purdue. So my, my clue to you after the fact is this is actually a team that NAU played, obviously, on the road while we were in school. And a former player of ours used to be within this program. A certain quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't know. Who wore number seven named Michael Herrick. Oh, Ole Miss. Yes, there you go. Shit. It is Ole Miss. The Ole Miss Rebels. They're in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, once once you said Herrick, I knew who it was. Okay, so we've got three left. You gotta get one of three. So you got a thirty-three point three three percent chance. Are you ready for your next city? Yes. Okay. The next city is Fayetteville. Okay, I think fuck. So there's two. There's one in Texas that I know for sure. And then I want to say there's one in Arkansas. I'm going to say, fuck. FBS. I'm going to say the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas Razorbacks? Is that your final answer? Yeah. That is correct. It is the Arkansas Razorbacks. So... An unofficial six, a true five that you have gotten. I'm going to go ahead and ask you the other two, just for shits and gigs for the people listening at home. 
But you have won this week on Finally. the unknown. God. The next city. So just go ahead and, and quick fire these ones here because yeah. you've already taken care of business. The next one, it's a it's a, a dual city, if you will. It's Urbana Champagne. So it's oh. Urbana Dash Champagne. Most people just recognize Champagne as the city that that hosts this FBS team, but if you ask locals and if you actually look it up, it's Urbana Champagne. This one, I actually have no idea. I don't even have wow. a guess. <laughs> this is the Illinois Fighting Illini. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they play in, again, Urbana Champagne is the technical correct term. And the final one I had on here was Philadelphia. What FBS team plays in Philadelphia? Pitt would be like too easy. It's... Well, Pitt would be Pitt would be in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Philly, 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 Philly. Philadelphia Constitution. <laughs> I actually don't know this one either. Ah, shit. Okay, um, this might be a, a clue for you, a uh, Mr. Bill Cosby. See what the side with the being in the That was a terrible Bill Cosby, but he went to school here. I've yeah, that, that didn't help. Okay, it's a commercial with Tootsie Roll. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a, a Tootsie Pop, Mister Owl? Oh, Temple. Yeah, there you go, the Temple Owls. Yep, uh, they are located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. But no matter, you've got you got the true five. Technically, you got six. Uh, we'll give you credit for the six, but you got you did what you needed to do. I'm gonna go ahead and chug this Modelo that I just cracked open by the sound of it. Can you go ahead and um, say goodbye to the audience here as I finish this, and we'll get this wrapped up. Well, Corbin's going to finish off his beer. Finally, Team Koenig pulls through in the unknown the first time ever. So hopefully we can kind of go on a little bit of a run here. It's Corbin kind of chokes us down. So we do have a whole lot more coming on the show. We had a whole lot of fun recording this one for you guys. We do have a huge NFL preview coming for you next week. The NFL is going to kick off this Thursday, like I said earlier, with the Chiefs and the Texans. So big things coming for the NFL. If you're a big football head, we got a whole lot of NFL coming your way. And the great return for Sheffield United and EPL. Well, that's actually, sorry, that's actually not this Monday, but next Monday. So it won't be on next Monday, next next Friday's show. Yes, it will. (laughs) I mean, we'll still talk about it, but there's not going to be any game, though. Yeah, there won't be any games, but we're going to preview the EPL season. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm oh, sorry, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Sheffield's going to have some new signings, it looks like, within the next few days. So we'll kind of talk about that. We'll talk about our expectations going into the next English Premier League season. So that offseason is finally over, so we can get back into what this show is all about. I'm getting I'm getting text messages from Scott Jones right now. He's he's demanding the the soccer He's saying, if I don't get some soccer in this next episode, I'm going to lose my mind. Scott Jones, your wish is our command. Shout out to Scott Jones, living legend, San Diego, and the cane dog. That's right. So that segment is specifically for them. We know that they love it. We hope that you guys love it. We have a whole lot more coming your way. Like I said before, NFL, EPL, and a whole lot more coming your way on next week's show. I've been Koenig, your host, joined as always by my good friend, Corbin. Say goodnight to the people, Corbin. To all my Swedes out there, good morning, and I hope you have a great day. Good night, everyone.